to the Thumpkin Philosophers Podcast. This is episode five. Today we're going to be talking about alternative energy. Sorry for the long hiatus there. We uh, had some technical issues on account of Isaac. Oh, come on. Looking at you, mm. Isaac. We come actually on. had recorded a, a episode five on a totally different topic, but we lost most of the audio. It's so, not my fault. Uh... <laughs> I'm sure it is somehow. I'm sure... I, I screwed that up somehow, but uh, I'm not going to take responsibility for it, so <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> it's okay. As we've uh, probably mentioned before, we have some... Uh, it's not always super, super easy recording a podcast when you're in different states. We run into technical issues because we record our audio separately and then we have to combine it later, which adds a lot of work for me production-wise. <laughs> for for Brandon mainly. And I'm not the best producer, as I'm sure you can tell. <laughs> it's okay. I'll forgive you because you do carry us. So, <laughs> but, but that's okay because I think we got a really, a really interesting topic for this uh, replacement episode. It's uh, alternative energy. So we're gonna dive into a little bit of you know what is the cause for you know turning to alternative energy, alternative fuels, then roll into you know how we might go about implementing those things, what's already been done uh, in terms of that, what some of the political plans are that are in place for for doing that, and then, you know, what some of the economic effects and whatnot might be. And, of course, diving into what those fuels are. Uh, so I know, Blake, you just went through kind of listing off some of this stuff and outlining it, so you want to kind of sum up what when we're talking about alternative energy what we're talking about oh yeah yeah definitely well uh kind of a easy way to kind of direct us from where we're going here is if we're already talking about global warming and where to go from that point we have to narrow it down just a little bit because there's a lot more to do for about or for global warming um than just using alternative energy uh, methods. You could always make arguments towards revamping our agriculture or changing a lot of our infrastructure or changing the way we do resource management in general, but today we figured uh, at the Plugin Philosophers that we would kind of narrow it down to alternative energy. So if we were talking about alternative energy, uh, we would probably... Uh, generally be talking about either transportation or just energy in general, so the kind of stuff you use for your household appliances or anything else that we use energy for in our day-to-day -day needs. So if we wanted to start with transportation, um, I suppose we would kind of hint at some of the main obvious fuel types when we're talking about like renewable energy and we're talking about cars or we're talking about commercial use um but yeah, i suppose yeah, even before we talk about the fuel we should probably bring up that the thing you should think of first before even considering that is supporting uh measures to help with infrastructure because uh, really the best alternative for alternative fuels is to have 
railways or to have uh, better infrastructure in place that's going to facilitate you using less fuel in general. Right. So when we're when we're talking about this stuff, you know, we really have in America built our society around the car. So we're we are really locked in um, in the way that cities are laid out, uh, really around needing the necessity of having a car, especially out here in the valley in Phoenix. Everything is so spread out, so far apart, and everything. There's really not a, a solid way to get around without having a car. So. Mm -hmm. Definitely, when we're when we're considering our fuel consumption, you know, the, almost all cars are operated off of the internal com combustion engine, which results in pumping greenhouse gases into into the atmosphere. So, uh, you know, definitely, we're going to have to talk about changing changing the way that that operates, or potentially, you know, building out, like you said, uh, high speed high speed rail. Or you know light rails and, and public transportation and stuff to, to deal with those issues bigger than just transportation there are you know the, the fully listed out the types of renewable energy that we can talk about or you know are things like solar wind uh, water geothermal energy uh, bioenergy and then there's nuclear power which sounds scary is alternative I wouldn't necessarily call it renewable yeah I suppose I'm we wanted to kind of go from nuclear you could also kind of go into fusion energy which is you say nuclear 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 like george w bush over like george here. w yeah nuclear i'm sorry i grew up he was like my first memorable president that i <laughs> george I w i got i got some kind of letter from him or something when i was in like elementary school can't remember what it was. You know, it was like a form letter or whatever that it was yeah, like yeah, his, signed by his printed signature. Yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. For like scholastic achievement or something so, like that. I don't even. I don't, my so mom it wasn't like. It hey, Brandon, how's it doing? He's like, how's here it going? In office. <laughs> What's the weather like there in southeast New Mexico? <laughs> Like, I could just yeah, we see were, him. We were buds. We were pen pals is what I'm saying. Me and, <laughs> me and W used to write back and forth on and off when like, I was you know, uh, he, eight years old. Totally he, normal thing. He, got a, he, he had a bad rap, but, you know, he's a really nice guy. He's in Harold and Kumar. It's a great movie. I like he, that cameo. He totally, he totally was, uh, you know, he, I, I'll give him that, that he did seem like the kind of, the kind of guy, the kind of president that you could have a beer with, even oh, yeah. though... Even though he he didn't he uh, quit drinking like a really long time ago. Oh yeah, I guess he did enough he when he was in college and in yeah. the navy, <laughs> and and doing blow and going AWOL. <laughs> you know it but, happens. Uh, you know, as as much as you know negative things that you could say about the guy, <laughs> I I could totally see you and him sitting down just like hanging out. <laughs> Actually, all three of us that would be amazing. Right. <laughs> yeah right. If you were gonna. If you're gonna hang out with any president, who would you want to hang out with? Alive or dead, or alive? Any alive or dead? Alive or dead? Mm. Oh, oh, you. Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe. Well, I feel like anyone that's like older than just a little while ago is gonna be just incredibly racist. <laughs> boring. Some more or than boring. others, but yeah. Some more than others, obviously. They're but all like... pretty much. I mean, they're all. Uh, Rich, wealthy, white guys. You know, a lot, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the U.S. presidents are related to each other. 
um, like somehow FDR was related to just like a ridiculous amount of, of uh, well I knew him and Teddy Roosevelt were related obviously because they're like second or third cousins oh, um, I'm look this up he was actually somehow related to like 11 presidents Jesus yeah that's not a it's <laughs> not a red flag there at all you know on, honestly honestly I, I'd have to s- stick with George W <laughs> yeah it just and, seems like it'd be really interesting i could just have like the most to have a conversation with with him that's the yeah. thing like if i could like i don't know like i could sit down and like have a drink with Abe Lincoln, but i don't know what i'm talking <laughs> yeah. about like i don't know if we would shoot the shit or even know but i could talk with george w about this like <laughs> no you know what maybe clinton just because he seems like he'd be someone that would party like, oh, yeah. I would get him in his party days, though. A lot know. of the presidents partied. Yeah, I know. JFK? Like, yeah, Imagine okay. partying with JFK. That's a really yeah. good point. <laughs> hey, but di- didn't Bill play the sax, though? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. The sax, man. Yeah. FDR was related to 11 other presidents. Man. Yeah. Um, I'm almost mad that uh, you were correct on that. <laughs> yeah. It's not unbelievable. When am I ever wrong? He was related to John Adams, James Madison, John Quincy Adams, Martin Van Buren, uh, William Henry Harrison, Zachary Mm. Taylor, I'm already losing you guys, Andrew Johnson, Ulysses S. Grant, uh, Mm. Benjamin Harrison, William Howard Taft, and of course Theodore Roosevelt. And Barack Obama. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) William Taft is the only one It just goes to show, you know, it's like that, uh, that old George Carlin quote, you know, it's a big club and you're not in it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just goes to show, dude. All these people are all these people are related, related, and hang in the same circles. Even even when you get an outsider like like Trump, Trump is an outsider who just happened to God. hang out with the Clintons for like twenty years. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like there are no outsiders if you make it into the if you make it into the the upper echelon of society. You're you're connected to other pe- upper echelon people. That just is what it is. Um, anyway, uh, so you're going with Bill Clinton. Who yeah. you're going with W? I'm going with W. W. How about you? Uh, probably, probably FDR. Just because I would just nerd out with him on policies. Because be FDR, fun. FDR did the great created the greatest amount of change on on the United States governmental system of any president in the history in the history of the country. Um, he he really radically changed the way that this country um, operated. He passed more um, executive orders than any other president, like by far, just like a ridiculous amount of executive orders, which is something that doesn't get talked about a lot because, uh, you know, he's recognized for having the, the New Deal. Yeah. You know, but he, he was our longest, our longest uh, serving president. But, uh, all right, so anyway... Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, he would be the most interesting person to talk to, to hang out with. Uh, I think uh, probably Thomas Jefferson would be a really interesting guy, too. I was going to say that one, too. He'd get, he'd get shit-faced with you at the bar. He would. And he'd I was get thinking all that, ri- too. He'd get all riled up about stuff, you know? Yeah, he would. It, Anybody me, who's <laughs> signed his name that big. I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like me and that guy would be... Uh, <laughs> would be on the same wavelength probably I just imagine like everybody in the room when they all signed that thing and then Thomas comes right up at the very end and he's like alright I'm just gonna do this like <laughs> 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 the biggest out there. 
<laughs> Wait, are you thinking of John Hancock? Because John, John Hancock, John Hancock, John Hancock. He wasn't a president, though, was he? No, no, was. he wasn't. He was. Was he, he a was continental? Nobody. He, he no, was, he was. He was just. He was one of the sons of uh, sons of liberty, I think. Um, okay. But he was he was really a nobody. Really, that's his whole footnote in history. Is just <laughs> that's how 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 ridiculous is that? Is that that's how he made his name and got into history. Is literally signing his name big on one document. You know what? I'll I'll give him this. The man saw his opportunity. And fucking <laughs> took it. Right. He's like, you know, I feel like this thing's gonna be pretty important. I I Dude, should probably like, make my I, name pretty. Could big. you see him like like sitting there like about to sign it, like looks at everyone. It's like you motherfuckers have no idea. And then boom, yeah. just lays that know. down. All of you trying to be all polite and everything here. <laughs> no one of you gonna remember your names. That's why his nickname was Huge Cock. <laughs> set of balls that guy had on him to do that. That is had hilarious. <laughs> the huevos on that motherfucker. <laughs> he wasn't okay. a president, but I think I'd like to have a drink with him. Yeah. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, Harold and Kumar. When they're getting high with George W, would be Brandon and W, just I was fucking thinking that same scene it up. too when we were talking about this earlier too. I was like, I wonder if he does smoke or it has. No way, no way. I mean, well, he has. I'm I know sure. he has. No he way he college, does anymore. But I, I mean, think. yeah, you're probably right. Not anymore. But still, in a perfect. Oh book, he God, did. I know. Well, hilarious. I mean, there's. All right, I can't say for sure, but there's pretty good evidence that that he was. Uh, a lot of people have claimed that he did a lot of coke in college, and and even when he was in the when he was in the he was in the skull and he, bones the, the the reserves. Oh shit! Yeah, he he was like in the reserves in during uh, Vietnam, uh-huh. uh, based in Texas, I think. And he went. He actually, technically, I think he went AWOL while he was while he was serving. I mean, if you're a rich white kid too, I could only expect you to at least have had a mild coke problem at some oh, point. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. That's I fair. mean, it's a rich man's drug. Yeah, it's, right? a, yeah, it's it's a rite of passage for a rich white guy. <laughs> All right. Could, so, co- could coke be used as a form of alternative energy? <laughs> for yourself. For Possibly. people. <laughs> If Anyways. you want to try and power a little like human made bicycle with an engine, yeah. Just give that guy a shit ton of coke until he dies and he'll give put, you a lot of put energy. Put cocaine on a Peloton. <laughs> and you there can you have go. you'd have wealthy people powering the whole country. <laughs> That's how we get our tax money back. Boom. We'll just make these motherfuckers power the whole country. Move a train trying to run after some coke. Alright, <laughs> All right, Blake, make sure you put that in the outline. <laughs> It will have New electric, field of hydrogen, right hybrid coke biofuels, coke, yeah. jet fuels. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> jet fuel, right? Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Thing. The coke. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, I guess, firstly, I'm like, firstly, we're like, what, 20 minutes into this already? This little rant. Um, so, <laughs> first we need to establish, are we in fact... Are alternative? How important is it that we turn to alternative fuels? Obviously, the main reason that's behind this push for uh, alternative energy—you know, things like the Green New Deal and all that—is climate change. So we have to address the elephant in the room: Is climate change real? Well, according to like everybody and my mom. <laughs> it's like everyone. Yeah. According to 
every major scientist, every scientist across the world. And Blake's mom. And, and Blake's, Blake's mom, mom, most importantly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, according to NASA, who, you know, when we're fact-checking things, yeah, we turn to organizations like NASA because they happen to have some of the smartest people around, arguably. <laughs> yeah. Um, NASA says that it's unequivocal. The current warming trend is of particular significance because most of it is extremely likely, greater than 95% probability, to be the result of human activity since the mid-20th century and proceeding at a rate that is unprecedented over decades to millennia. So there are lots of ways to measure uh, climate change, and yes, it has happened throughout the history of the Earth. Um, over and over again, the climate is always changing, and it goes through ebbs and flows, and there are there are these cycles. But we broke that cycle right around the 1950s. Around the 1950s, um, global temperatures have skyrocketed, and they have not slowed down. Mm. And it is far beyond literally anything that we're able to measure. And yeah, we are able, to, you know, we are able to measure climate changes going back millennia based on all kinds of things. So measuring trees, um, ice cores, I, ice core samples predominantly, mm-hmm. which can get you pretty much all the way up to, I think, like at least a hundred thousand years ago. Sometimes some people have claimed that they've gotten uh, atmospheric samples of up to a million years old. Holy like, shit. Yeah. Right. For, for things more recent, you know, you can go off tree rings, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, ocean, don't, don't ocean you have to sediment. Don't trees down? That's kind of counterintuitive. <laughs> Seems yeah. kind of sad. But we, we can, uh, yeah, but we're able to find yeah. evidence in, in tree rings, ocean sediments, coral reefs, uh, layers of sedimentary rocks. You know, look, we can measure we can measure the compounds and everything that are that are in all of those things and, and see what you know it, at a specific point in time what the atmosphere looked like and and what the global temperatures were like around that time. Mm-hmm. And we are we are quickly just shooting to unprecedented levels. Mm-hmm. And there's there really is no no question and, and you know, included in the show notes we'll have links to, you know, some of that evidence. Um, yeah, but it's it's literally a given that just the main driving factor between all of it, as far as anybody is concerned uh, who knows anything about it, would be generally related to carbon or sorry greenhouse gases, and the predominant one would be carbon dioxide. Also, we have to worry about methane, which is stronger and more potent than carbon dioxide. It just cycles out of the atmosphere more quickly than carbon dioxide does. We've put more carbon back into the atmosphere from how it was before, which is in the form of sludge, which is essentially what we use as oil and then turned into gasoline and then ended up burning and then it's became essentially a gas again. So as it's mm-hmm. pumped back into the atmosphere from its solid state, it acts as that extra little barrier to keep all that heat in. Uh, we put more of that back into the atmosphere than any volcanoes or series of volcano eruptions have done ever as far as you can really tell and it's all just like man-made um you know you know what's really interesting is the uh with this whole coronavirus thing going on right now you know whole you know portions of china have just been shut down effectively and uh and with that you know china has some of the worst 
the worst pollution in the world. <laughs> the air in parts of in parts of China is so bad that that people literally have to wear masks just to get by in their day to day. Mm -hmm. But during this coronavirus scare and, and and the stoppage of the economy and people being quarantined to areas and not allowed out of their homes and stuff, uh, the smog has all has all cleared up, and they like like it's actually made just in that like week or so of all that stuff happening, the atmosphere in those parts of the world has gotten ridiculously better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you, coronavirus. On a, on a small <laughs> scale, on a small scale, what that kind of, Change what, what human activity can have on the environment mm -hmm. is, you know, pretty incredible. Yeah. So, so basically what y'all are saying is us as humans have really fucked shit up. I mean, typically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just the way that we do resource management and the way that uh, we get what we need. Um, it's us first and then everything else next. Uh, it's, well, you know, well, arguably, that's just the way that nature is. It doesn't, it, altruism isn't necessarily an evolutionary trait often. Mm -hmm. Although, uh, arguably, it does exist. I mean, there's documented things of specifically humpback whales showing very altruistic behavior for some reason. But uh, aside from, like, rare situations like that, it's generally in the interest of an organism to, like, consolidate and make resources for itself. It's just never come to the point in the planet's history where that has become a problem for the planet itself and for, like, pretty much every other species across the board. Yeah, there has been situations in evolution where, obviously, like, species take over habitats and other ones go extinct yeah. from it. But it hasn't been the case before where one species took over the entire planet and all of its resources um, to the entirety of its extent. Like, we, uh, there's almost no part of the Earth that we haven't touched with uh, our need or just our actual presence at this point for resources. So oh, yeah, if, if, if we have all of this information, all of these studies, basically, <laughs> you know, NASA... All these other incredibly intelligent scientists saying, hey, we've got a major problem. And why are there still people, you know, namely people in charge, um, saying it's not an issue? Um, economic purposes. Yeah. There is too much money, in specifically in fossil fuels, and that too much of that money has is directly tied to the political systems in virtually every country on the earth uh, for us to make any significant headway on on those on those things you know? unless there were, unless we can prove that there was more money in these other fuels and they would jump all over that right like i mean you think at the end of the day, it's always just like follow the power and for mm -hmm. modern day powers associated with money. So in money, yeah. if you want to worry, like if you're trying to talk about the easiest way to like mitigate all these things, like the best thing we can hope to do uh, from the bottom up would be to introduce and support uh, green energy or just support renewable energy in general, because that's going to add and add competition to uh the existing system that we have right now which already you know it got us to where we are but it has problems and yeah. uh, it needs to be fixed and needs to be changed oh yeah sure we're just starting off by saying yeah absolutely climate change is happening 
it is real. We need to do things about it. Uh, we just need to to dive into what. And if you have any you know further questions questions over what the evidence for rapid climate change is, you know NASA list off a whole listed off a whole range of things going from global temperature rises, warming oceans, shrinking ice sheets, glacial retreat, decreased snow cover, sea level rise, declining Arctic sea ice, extreme events, and ocean acidification. All of these things that we're measuring and we can see from space with satellites happening to the to the earth over a lot over this entire industrialized period oh, yeah. is definitely happening. Well fucking uh, Australia so- blew up. Australia exploded into a giant ball of fire. It literally did. I mean, it's like, oh, no, it was just a cigarette. But, like, well, I'm sure there's other things that, you know, you can't really start a full fire without fuel, like dry, dead country. And so, you know, tons of scientists from around the world have have gathered all this data and looked at all of these things and said basically look we have to stop climate change from from going over basically a 1.5 degree celsius change from the pre-industrial period in order to stop it, not not to where humans are going to go extinct or anything, but to stop all of those things from becoming totally untenable and out of mm-hmm. control from, uh, from, you know, extreme weather events becoming the norm and, you know, decimating areas on the regular, basically, you know, to, you know, sea levels rising and taking out whole coastal areas, yeah. you know, uh, so Day after tomorrow shit, basically just yes. over a longer period. But yes. So so 1 degree Celsius is I think about uh 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm American. That was kind of that was kind of the benchmark uh for a while. Now people are saying and I think largely because we're a little already a too little too too fucked on that issue. Uh now they're saying okay, well two. no more than 2 degrees, which would be 2 <laughs> degrees 2 degrees Celsius would be about 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit, which doesn't sound like a lot, but we're talking about globally, yeah. and we're talking about average global temperatures over the course of a year. And it's important to remember that pole, or temperatures at the poles are always more dramatic than they are at the, or closer to where we are here. In fact, the temperature in Antarctica um, over the same period that we've been experiencing our own increase in average global temperatures has had that same increase on a tenfold like level. It's like a huge, huge amount of difference. Um, so the ice can melt generally a lot more quickly, and that's the important point when he says averages, is that we're talking about global average. So that's not like telling you that, okay, everywhere is going to get about a degree and a half more hot. It's going to really mean that like you're going to have summers where you get 125 degree uh, like uh, weeks, essentially, that oh, we've right. had before. Or yeah, you're going to have... Great. Yeah. And, and there's a runaway greenhouse effect where, where this just takes off and it's unstoppable. So Arctic ice is incredibly important. For one, like if it all melts... That goes into that feeds into the oceans and raises sea levels, and there's a lot of coastal areas who are gonna, who are gonna have. Uh, there's a lot of non-coastal areas who are gonna have some beachfront property very soon. Um, <laughs> but outside of that, 
sea ice reflects the sun rays, the sun's rays back out of out of the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And as that ice melts, then the earth it actually absorbs more heat. Yeah. Because the blue ocean will just absorb absorb heat. It won't reflect anything away. Yeah, or land, yeah. yeah either, exactly. either one. So we're we're gonna absorb more of the sun rays and more the more of that that they reaches the earth and then with the greenhouse gases surrounding the earth those rays get trapped and that energy gets trapped within you know within the planet and it's just so it just feeds back and it's eventually we're turning this planet into a convection oven you know yeah so if, if we've okay it's going on it's happening it's obviously fucking horribly bad i think we could all agree to that what are these you know, either the scientists or other politicians propose that we do about it or that we can't. Is there anything that can be done about it? So what we have to do about it is we have to reduce total carbon emissions 80 to 100 percent across the globe by mid-century or shortly thereafter. Yep. Okay. At least. So we're talking oh. twenty by twenty fifty. We need to cut global total go, global carbon emissions by eighty to one hundred percent. How the hell can we do that? So that's rapid, significant change. Yeah, we're talking about on an Earth that is rising in population. Yeah, um, pretty 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 quickly. Pretty quickly. Yeah, it's important to remember that like people don't. Or there's sometimes fears that populations just explode and then they keep exploding and they always go. But in reality, as uh, populations become more intelligent and they live and develop into a first world nation, they actually generally peter off. Like the U.S. is where it's generally at about a stable population aside from influx from immigration. Or you can even get even further to like Japan or Italy, which are actually having declines in population for the past like ten to twenty years. But that there are negative economic impacts of those sort of things. You're right. Too. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so if we you know so for a lot of human history, populations would teeter off and stuff because famine, war, disease would all happen. Mm-hmm. You know things like the Black Plague would come through and wipe out. To... A huge percentage of the yeah. population. You're just resources couldn't. You know, major it. wars yeah. happen, things like that. You know, and 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 we haven't really seen. So in this entire industrialized period, economies have been growing, kind of all over the world, um, and we haven't had any. Don't get me wrong, we have a ton of wars, but we haven't had anything like rivaling global World War II no. since World War II. Yeah. Um, so we've had a solid. What seventy years? Yeah, I mean, really, we're we're approaching like eighty years here, really. Yeah, and as medicine becomes more advanced and governments become more advanced, the odds of us losing significant chunks of that population are 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 lower. But our our population is starting to grow, mm-hmm. and so you have to take care of those people. Mm-hmm. You know, so Japan is facing that problem where. Where the population is 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 getting older and older and older, and there's less young people to take care of all of them, and mm-hmm. that that can that poses its own problems, you know. But uh, but there's no doubt that, you know, so for one, climate change is going to affect everyone, literally everyone on this planet, and every economy, 
and it, it's it's going to affect us in in you know ways that are you know physical and economic and it's going to affect you know social justice issues and all of those things in 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 ways that it's hard to even measure but we, that we know will happen you know so we know that these things affect poor people first you know because when you're subject to you know major major storms and hurricanes and tornadoes and things like that that stuff affects hits poor people the hardest you know uh it's a bigger deal when your house gets ripped from the ground if you can't afford to replace it exactly yeah, if nothing was insured yeah. all of those things yeah it's harder uh, to get different food you know as 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 droughts yeah. happen more and more you know and it, it subsistence farming isn't as 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 possible people move move from those areas to other to other areas and that's harder on poor people and you have you know migration issues and stuff there's a lot of evidence that that right now a lot of the problems in the Middle East can can be partly connected to global warming mm -hmm. and so there are all kinds of issues that come with that but uh, yeah, at the end of the day, we need to we need to cut global car carbon emissions by eighty to one hundred percent. Well, what what other? So we know we got to do that. Um, what's what's been proposed to be able to achieve that, or at least get started in that direction? All kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, All if we were wanting to like narrow it down, your main sources of carbon emissions. If we're hoping to stick within our little subject of conversation here, if we're talking about energy, uh, so if you're talking about energy, you're either talking about alternative fuels or alternative uh, power sources, essentially. So something to replace coal plants or uh, uh, anything else that's going to be using uh, anything that'll pump more greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Uh, in the valley here, and I'm pretty sure most parts of New Mexico, we use the Palo Verde nuclear plant, which uh, produces no emissions. It just does produce nuclear waste, which I think we're all pretty familiar with nuclear power and its general benefits. If we're all speaking, most people would say realistically, if you wanted to have the whole world convert off of uh, fossil, fuels, fossil fuels right now today, they'd tell you the only real ways to do that is to change everybody over to nuclear. But... If we were going to do it like overnight, yeah, yeah that's exactly. The only, yeah, that's, that's the only way. way. If you wanted, but in reality, the a large majority of a lot of public opinion across the board uh, in different nations too is that they're usually hesitant towards it. It's always that it's a silent killer radiation. Nobody wants to worry about it in their part of town. Uh, and every story where something happens to those, it's always like a disaster, which is also. Two in the same line of like why we might be more afraid of air travel than we should be, which because it's like oh, statistically it's always safer, but in reality you would never probably survive from a plane crash. You are statistically better to use nuclear power, but like at the end of the day, if something happens, it's it's like it's just bad. bad. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's a bad it's, thing. It yeah. was when they fuck up. It's really bad. Like, it's really know. bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean nobody wants it to happen, um, but when it does, it's. It's yeah. It's usually. oh yeah. No, I'm not gonna lie. The, the thought of that. I mean, not not looking too much into it. It seems. It sounds very scary. Like, but but scary. like the, know, the the potential of nuclear power is is astronomical. Is, you yeah, can truly. you can create a just an insane amount of energy mm -hmm. 
with nuclear power. And we can really power um, everything that we need. And really kind of on the drop of a hat. But, but yeah, the, the, the problems are like, yeah, volatility. If you fuck up, like, you, you could... You could risk, like, ruining an area. You could kill the entire human species using <laughs> yeah. nuclear power yeah. with one accident. Yeah. And, um, and humans are prone to accidents. I mean, yeah. it's kind of what we do. And and so we've already we've already used a lot of nuclear like we've created an insane amount of nuclear weapons in the United States, and the problem is that we don't have storage for any of it. <laughs> so we we started producing all these nuclear weapons, which you know, there's which creates nuclear waste, which nuclear waste cannot be can't be stored near populations of people or animals Mm -hmm. at all and we started doing that without any plan for how we were gonna how we were gonna get rid of that nuclear waste eventually and we never came up with a good plan for how to for what to do with it so most of that nuclear waste is still being stored in the facilities that it was made in which that's not what they were designed for and we don't really have any and nobody wants it yeah you know, mm-hmm. because it all has to be buried like ridiculously far underground, and then you have to be like insanely careful with, uh, with, you know, how it's transported there, and then and then how it's stored, and keeping radiation from getting into the water table, and all all of those all of those kinds of things. So to, uh, so most of the proponents on on proponents for things like the Green New Deal and stuff are really trying to lean away from nuclear power. Uh, but, but the, you know, the reasons are that, you know, when you're talking about energy, so, you know, when we're talking about getting away from fossil fuels, we're really talking about electrifying everything. Yeah. That's what we're really talking about. It's like, if we're going to get away from burning fossil fuels to create energy, then we need to electrify everything. Right. Um, so, right. The lightning. So... In order to do that, you need you need infrastructure that we don't have. We we need we need we need power grids all over the world that aren't that that are connected to each other. the the biggest The biggest thing with uh, you know a carbon free grid is a balance of two kinds of electric uh, electricity resources: dispatchable and non dispatchable resources. So dispatchable is a broad category, meaning anything that the gri- that grid operators can use to actively manage the balance of electricity, supply and demand. Oh, like easily turn on and off. Or you got to like... flip it on and off. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and so in order in order to do that, you need to be able to flip something on and off. You need to have energy right when you need right it when you need at it. any given point in mm-hmm. time, and so with nuclear energy you can do that you can do that very easily mm-hmm. with you know natural gas and coal and those things you, you can it's it's harder like you're going to have more issues mm-hmm. but you can still do it you can burn whatever you need to burn to create the energy in in order to do that but when we're talking about like solar energy or wind energy the sun isn't always shining the, the wind isn't going. always blowing yeah and so you have influxes where of energy where where the sun is shining and you're collecting all of this energy and then when the sun's not shining 
it's not there anymore and you have to be able to you have to be able to deal with those with those changes and if you have a small grid that's cut off from the rest of the world and you're and you're using you know some solar plants and some wind farms to create this energy if neither of those things are running what do you do and there and so there are a lot of ways there are a lot of ways to deal with that that specifically where uh, right now, the biggest the biggest storage of energy that we're using is is uh, is actually hydro storage, which is I've heard that just when, essentially having like so you take the surplus energy that you're taking that you're taking in and you use it to pump water up a hill. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so then, whenever the sun stops shining, just or the, the wind stops blowing. Down. You let the water roll flow back down, and it pushes turbines and creates more energy. Boom! But that's that's finite, and it's based on you know scale. Yeah. Obviously, it can run for for minutes or hours or or whatever, depending on those things. Another thing that they do that, that you can do is you can have uh, basically big blocks of concrete on railroad tracks that do the same thing. That you push them up, you push them up a hill. Uh-huh. Whenever, whenever you have the energy, and then you hold them there, and, and you're storing energy. Yeah. And then, in the form of kinetic energy, essentially. Yeah, in the form of kinetic energy, and then whenever you need it, you roll it back down. Wow. <laughs> uh, like and a- then the other, and then the other main thing is battery power. Yeah. And and so battery technology has really defined a lot of the. The quest for, uh, you know, viable alternative fuels or you know renewable energy um, over the past decade, uh, because it's it's hard to it's hard to store a lot of a lot of energy um, efficiently mm-hmm. and most importantly cost efficiently. Yeah, because there are co- costs that go into into creating batteries. And there are environmental impacts of creating these batteries because they all rely on heavy metals like lithium mm-hmm. and uh, nickel and I forget what some of the other ones are. Metallica. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Megadeth. Megadeth. <laughs> you know, all of those things. <laughs> so... What was it? I, I wanted to to bring up something. I, I I told you guys about that, you know, tiny house, um, hydrogen cell, power source, that that I found online that I thought was really cool. I was looking at, you know, there's there's a site that I found out because I was looking up different sources of energy, and they're selling these hydrogen cell. Well, they're portable on little wheels, but energy sources for tiny houses. I mean, I don't have a tiny house and also can't really afford $7,900. But, you know, that's, uh, that's a whole thing right there. And it says, you know, you can run off everything off of a, a tiny house. Um, everything inside of it off of these um, hydrogen fuel cells. And other than the cost of those up front, I mean... It seems like a really cool idea too. Like, it's interesting. I mean, how how could you not want to at least look into I would that think more? That, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's actually been 
really interesting to me that hydrogen hasn't become a bigger thing than it has. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was a when I was in high school, I was like a freshman in high school, I did a report on a hydrogen-fueled vehicle. These researchers, I think they were in Israel, either Israel or Iran, two very different places. Mm -hmm. anyway, <laughs> yeah, don't get those mixed up. <laughs> anyway, uh, these researchers had, had looked into using hydrogen fuel where you basically just fed metals into a tank and they and they used basically you would fill up with water mm -hmm. and you had this this uh this metal coil mm -hmm. that you would use to like feed the metal in and it would oxidize oxidize the metal and the strip the the oxygen out of the out of the water, I see. Just leaving like hydrogen that you could burn through the engine, mm -hmm. and yeah, it was really interesting. But uh, hydrogen never really never really took off, and in fact, most of these renewable energies haven't exactly taken off yet. Although maybe you, you maybe maybe it's wind. just because yeah. fossil fuels have grown to entirely dominate energy production oh, altogether. Yeah, I mean, so when you're when you're talking about a slice of the pie that's literally the entire pie, it's hard to make a lot of headway into that. But, you know, according to the Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy, everybody knows that office. Oh yeah. Right? Regularly. Um, economic potential for renewable power technologies, particularly wind and solar, more than tripled as a result of cost reductions from 2010 to 2014. So in four years, the economic potential for, for renewable power, um, especially wind and solar, more than tripled, which is, which is really significant. And that was six years ago. Granted, we haven't really made a whole lot of headway in that six years, mm -hmm. which is why we've had to push off a lot of the, you know, why we were talking 1.5% or 1.5 degrees to now we're, we're going to two, but the, the capability is there. And as we achieve economies of scale, it's going to become easier. It's going to, it's going to move more rapidly and the costs will go down. Well, God, I, I hope it's, so. I mean, me, me and Brandon are both from a certain area of the country where we regularly hear drill baby drill <laughs> you know what i mean yeah it's it's oil it's oil country oh god and it's and, it's you know everywhere like it's completely changed the landscape of our hometown i mean it's it's insane there's so much money into it which i guess makes sense why you know everyone's so hesitant to go to anything else so like, even if they say there's money in there because we we're not there and it hasn't been proven yet, but we know what there's money in oil and this part of the country where we're from, there's a fuck ton of it. And but it, it's all they got, and and yeah. and all those families are are relying off of that stuff. My my family relies off of um, relies off of the oil in, industry. My my stepdad works in the in. You know, it kind of adjacent. Well, in that in that energy, in a like yeah. supportive supportive sector of the of but it's, the, it still goes of back the oil to industry it. in Southwest Texas and and you know, 
in southwest, southeast New Mexico. And that, you know, you have to, you have to take those things into consideration. That's literally people's, <clears throat> that's how they get by. That's what pays their bills. That's yeah. what the entire economy in those areas is built upon. And when we talk about getting rid of those things entirely, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, well, well, we, we talked means about literally it. stripping those jobs away. We, we talked about it when we, uh, um, in our, in our other podcast, whenever we talked about, uh, um, oh Jesus. I mean, automation. I yes. Automation we were, augmentation. When, I mean, yeah, we were talking about automation and self-driving cars and the effect that that would have on that yeah. industry. And it, it's, it's along the same lines. Yeah. I, I mean, isn't it like train people Absolutely. for different jobs and then boom, there's another job. It's just, are they willing to do it? Are they, are they willing to, to try something new? Cause it yeah. seems scary and it is scary, but, but how but, do you create those jobs and how do you do it quickly? I don't think that there's, without, there's, I don't think there's any question. There's no way to do that and do it quickly without massive government intervention. Yeah. No, it yeah. takes, it takes massive government investment. And that is where you get into this fundamental, you know, socialism versus capitalism debate in, in American politics <laughs> that we all know and love. Mm-hmm. Oh dude, um, it's, it's a, huge topic right now jesus we and, could have had and, an episode on that right now and i just i yeah i don't think that there's a way around it and that's you know and that's how things like the green new deal come to fruition you know so you know while we're talking about you know where we're from and what that means to us interestingly i came across you know in my research i came across this article about a a recent study um, from late 2018 from uh, Houston's Rice University claiming that Texas um, could easily generate most of its energy through wind and solar. (laughs) Um, In fact, almost totally replacing um, everything else, coal uh, coal and natural gas in, in 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 that state like overnight they could they could replace it with wind and solar because they're uh they're uniquely positioned to shift entirely to those industries uh because of the amount of sunlight that they get and the amount of wind that they get across that giant state uh that if if you built the the necessary infrastructure infrastructure for power grid for that uh, it could be easily manageable, and so they were relying on the fact that uh, you know uh, current data shows that coal-fired power plants are typically available about eighty-seven point five percent of the time. So that's that's kind of sets the setting the benchmark mm-hmm. for what that would be replacing. Is saying that we're able to you're able to have power on demand eighty-seven point five percent of the time using coal-fired fired power plants in Texas right now that's what they're doing and and the study the study showed that they could that they could reach that ben- benchmark uh, easily with using just wind and solar well and-, and and they're already they're currently the number one state in terms of well so, so they're they're right now they're the number one state in terms of crude oil and natural gas consumption and oh, the no sixth shit. in terms of coal consumption and uh, but they're also America. the largest consumer of wind energy 
in all 50 states. They generate 18% of, of their energy through wind already. So the oh, main thing would just be, promising. so they already have a lot of that, a lot of that down. Um, the main thing would be investing into solar because they, right now they only generate about 2.4% of its energy, of their energy for, from solar. And when we ask that question, why don't they? Well, it's because they're also the largest oil producer in the country. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. That, that's, um, that's where Drill so that's, Baby Drill was fucking born at, dude. That's where that's where these companies live. It's not hard to see why those things don't change. I mean, uh, like I said, I mean, it's w – wouldn't you like to think that there's – because people, like you said, are worried about their jobs and stuff whenever it comes to – because there's already so many jobs in the oil – in the patch. I mean, there's – there'd have to be also jobs in the making of these – wind turbines and then the f keeping the maintenance on them and other i don't know other areas surrounding these things that could potentially still house house these jobs for individuals you know what i mean like you gotta you gotta build them you gotta put them up you gotta maintain them yep and they, take them down if you have to move them or whatever but there's there's still jobs there they is, they is create jobs but everything they... else they create jobs, but they don't create as many jobs. A, a a wind farm doesn't need nearly as many people as as an oil well does. Yeah, yeah, it just doesn't. Well, then how? You you put those well, things sucks. up. A solar farm doesn't need as many people. You put this. You literally you put the panels up, and you leave them. And you leave them. Yeah. The guy come fix them. That's about it. Yeah, and it's like one guy per you know hundred like Dave. things you know. Um, so, so yeah, there are, so when you hear people talk about the Green New Deal and they talk about its, its effect on the economy or whatever, there's a, there's, you know, definitely some truth to the idea that it could have, you know, it will certainly have significant impacts to, to our economy. Mm. Oh yeah. There's a never perfect um, answer to anything, but, but. There is a lot of misinformation about specifically the new the Green New Deal. <laughs> I was I was waiting for you to say this because I, I did want to bring that up. You know, we gotta. I even wrote it down on my little handy dandy notebook. Uh, <laughs> no cows and no planes. Right? <laughs> that was that was the big argument. No cows, no planes. No planes, no cows, and boom, we're good to go, guys. Yeah, no cows. No and planes, and that no was problem. legit shit that I that I had heard. On major oh, we news stations, I, I see it everywhere. I see like it everywhere. The, she wants to get rid of cows. How stupid can she be? Planes? Like, is that really what it says? Yeah, right. The Green New Deal is a resolution put forward by Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Senator. Ed Mar Markey for totally revolutionizing the way that the United States creates and utilizes its energy. And there is a lot, there has been a lot of information or misinformation put out since then about this, about this resolution. And I think a lot of it just stems from the idea, the fact that nobody reads it and they don't know what it is. It's it's yeah. not a, it's not a bill. 
It's not legislation. It's not even, it's not policy. There's no specific policy in it. It's a 14-page document. That's all it is. It's a 14-page resolution. If you want to look it up, it's House Resolution 109, and we'll have a link to it in our show notes. Uh, recognizing the duty of the federal government to create a green new deal. So the, the idea is green being green technologies, green energy, meaning renewable energy, um, and new deal referencing the new deal implemented by Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, right after the Great Depression that brought us out of the Great Depression. So it was this vast consolidation of, of policies and and amendments that went into revitalizing the American economy and and burgeoning this 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 era of global dominance by the United States yeah uh, during the industrial period and you could you could yeah tie various parts of of that dominance to different things, like the fact that the rest of Europe had all literally spent all their money, and spent all of their money, and been bombed to hell, <laughs> <laughs> and the U.S. didn't face any of those things, yet. yeah, <laughs> and whatever. But uh, so AOC has kind of been the face of the Green New Deal, but it's not by any means new. Um, in fact, the Green Party, specifically the European Green Party has been calling for a Green New Deal, quote-unquote, since 2006. If you mm. go to uh, gp.org slash Green New Deal, Green underscore New Deal, New underscore Deal, mm-hmm. um, you can see their Green New Deal that they've had uh, for a very long time that runs along those same lines. But we're going to focus on the one everyone's familiar with that was brought into you know, daily discussion by AOC, uh, but it, yeah, it's just a 14-page document, and all they're looking to do really is, uh, in that document, is basically they establish that human activity is dominant is a dominant cause of observed climate change over the past century. Uh, changing climate is causing sea levels to rise and an increase in wildfires, severe storms, all, you know, etc. It's um, causing all of these issues, global warming it, at or above two degrees Celsius beyond pre-industrialized levels will cause lots of problems. <laughs> Basically, global temperatures must be kept below 1.5 degrees Celsius, being 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit above pre-industrialized levels to avoid the most severe impacts of climate change. Mm-hmm. And then they lay out goals, and that's all they are, are goals for for mitigating those things and reducing those things okay. and for stopping those things from happening. That's, that's all it is. So anything that you see that set, that claims to have a number for this is how much the green new deal will cost is mostly full of shit because yeah. they're, it, they it don't just, have specifics like that. Yeah. There are no specifics to go off of. There are no specific policies. They're just saying we have to do something about this. And then they lay out some ideas for what and goals for, you know, what can be done about those things. Um, and and it treats, importantly, they treat the global climate crisis as an opportunity to, one, create millions of good high-wage jobs, two, provide unprecedented levels of prosperity and economic security, you know, in theory. Yeah. 
and three, counteract systemic injustices, which seems a little funky, but like ties into those things like we were talking about with, uh, you know, migration and, mm-hmm. and droughts and how it affects poor people yeah, and, yep. and, and disenfranchised people and the, you know, coal plants and refineries and all of these things are built in low income areas where the pollution has a has a higher larger, impact. higher impact on the people who live in those areas with mm-hmm. low incomes. And, you know, and there are all, all of these, these things that tie into that. And that's where it becomes a really, really broad and uh, daunting task to, to endeavor on because it does affect literally every part of society and it yep. needs to be dealt with now. It needs to be dealt with yeah. in the next 50 years. Yeah. And there's this problem with things that deal with the climate that anything, what, when you stop doing it now, there's a, a huge delay effect huge delay. when you see to where you see the effects of that change. Yeah. So a change now we won't see for decades, yeah. you know, but we have to make it now. We can't afford yeah. to, to wait until we see these impacts happening. Well, and like, like you said, I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> it, it seems like it's a whole bunch of really rich old white dudes who could care less what happens in 50 years from now because they're all going to be dead anyways. Mm-hmm. Well, why does it matter? It Which ma- sucks. It, it matters to your kids. Exactly. <laughs> and I love my kids. Yeah, and so the Green New Deal sets a goal of global reductions in greenhouse gas emissions from human sources to 40 to 60 percent from 2010 levels by 2030 and net zero by 2050 mm-hmm. and that's that's pretty much the crux of the thing that's that's the whole thing is we want we want to reduce do whatever literally whatever it'll take to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from 40 to 60 percent of 2010 levels by 2030 um, which is a huge undertaking, but they also want to address the things that go to, they go into that. So it calls for a 10-year national mobilization to build resiliency against climate-related disasters, repair and upgrade infrastructure, meet 100% of, of power demand through clean, renewable, and zero-emission energy sources, build or upgrade power grids, upgrade all existing buildings, and build new buildings to achieve max energy efficiency, water efficiency, et cetera, yeah. spur massive growth, growth in clean manufacturing, preferably in America, if you can, uh, work, <laughs> work with farmers and ranchers to remove pollution. So, you know, get rid of all the cows. Well, this, this <laughs> seems like everything you're saying that can result in a whole bunch of jobs. Like this will take a lot of work. Right. But a lot how, of employment. But how do you, how do you pay for it all? Um, there, there, there is Good that question. question. If it's the government that's spurring all of these changes, how do you do it? Because yeah. you have to, you have to create a tax incentives to to get into those things. So that's well, where don't we say tax. During, You're going to scare away our the, viewers. So during the Obama administration, you know, he he instituted massive, uh, you know, tax incentives to do things like add solar panels to your house, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, buy a Tesla. Things like that. Like there was a tax credit that went with buying a Tesla that that just ran out uh, last year or the year before. Damn it. Um, 
Yeah, because, so, you know, really at the end of the day, some things just don't make a profit, and right. the government will have to pay for it. And, right? you know, yeah, and we have don't to, expect a company to pay for all the roads in a we, whole country. We have to build power grids. We have to overhaul transportation systems. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some countries, you know, and centralized economies can do that. China China is, is adding high-speed rail extremely quickly yeah, in that country they're because they're really well set up for that because it's a centralized system mm-hmm. and yeah they they can go in and they can and the way that they do it is kind of fucked up a lot of the time where if you if you live <laughs> in the wrong place whatever dude they'll force, they'll force you to move and uh no yeah the needs of the state come before the needs of the individual there but yeah that's the trade-off i suppose like they and that's why yeah. that's why the green new deal gets you know um, there's a lot of fear mongering around it because it's quote unquote socialist, and that you know for for good reason. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, there there just isn't a way to to organize this much radical change this quickly without having socialist the, these scales yeah. without government doing it. Mm-hmm. There's just not. There's you just can't do it, and and uh, and that's going to have all kinds of effects on on. You know the global economy and definitely the local yeah. economy. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, we've talked a lot about all this stuff, and you know, what other, you know, before before we get out of here, what other, you know, we we we've been presented with the Green New Deal and other. We talked about hydrogen, and wind, solar. Uh, whatever happened to ethanol? Like, ethanol, is that still, is it's that still, still kind of used. Yeah, it's it's mostly used in like biodiesels, as far as I know, um, or as in additions in like normal gasoline to kind of dilute it a little bit and let you sell more and give it slightly less of a <laughs> environmental impact, but only slightly less. And <clears throat> like I know corn ethanol is used a lot in biodiesels, so well, tractors will tend to use that more often than not, or. If they can, I don't know. Honestly, I haven't done enough research to know if biodiesels are going to be cheaper than your traditional diesel. And yeah, I, I couldn't know if it is. I would not believe that if someone told me. I'd be surprised if you told me that biodiesel is cheaper than uh, regular uh, grade diesel. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. But you know what? Um, are you guys feeling like like we still had a long way to go on this topic? We yeah. generally try to keep, like, <laughs> we try to benchmark these episodes around an hour, and sometimes we go over, sometimes we're under. Maybe we could hit up but, a little uh, bit more. I'm, I'm kind of feeling like we should do a part two of this episode you know and really dig, get a little more into detail on, on the Green New Deal and what, the, and what that yeah. might mean, yeah. and then dive into the, some of that stuff on transportation. Yeah. Hell, uh, see, cause we, we could really, really dive into. We could hit I, on the I, other I talked too. to... I talked to my wife who works for um, a Ford dealership, and she was telling me about their um, recent, um, I don't know how to put it, they're, they're not going completely electric, but they are having a new push towards a lot more electric vehicles on their lot. And uh, oh yeah, um, pretty much all of the of the major automotive companies uh-huh. are are going to. And actually, yeah, I really do want to dig into that. I work. I also work in the um, adjacent to the uh, 
auto industry. And uh, I work as a copywriter for a digital marketing company that, that uh, works closely with, with uh, car dealerships. And so I read a ton of these articles on, on what these uh, yeah. companies like Ford are doing. You know what Ford stands for, by the way? Hmm. Fuck fix, over rebuild fix Dodge. Repair daily. <laughs> <laughs> fix it again, Tony. That's the Fiat. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a joke from from King of the Hill. Anybody watch King of the Hill? Nah. The King of the Hill. Wild, that man. that one's specifically for the King of the Hill fans. <laughs> joke. You know what Ford stands for? Fix it again, Tony. That's Fiat, you idiot. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so yeah, I'm feeling. I think we could definitely Yeah, I'm feeling like we should do a, a, a part two. Mm -hmm. So we have total creative control here because mm -hmm. our sponsors, uh, <laughs> which are non-existent, don't control us. <laughs> we but don't do what not, they say. This is not paid for by the oil industry. We but do maybe, what you, watch. the viewer, wants from us, not what our sponsors want, even though we don't have a sponsor. Hall <laughs> Halliburton's going to sponsor part two of this, and it's going to be a totally different, totally different feel to it. We're just going to completely sell out. <laughs> if if we if we come back if we come back after this episode and we're adamantly opposed to the Green New Deal, just know it's because we picked up a sponsor and we're making a lot of money. So fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> you your own damn business, because we're we're about to have a whole new listening audience. Yeah, you know principles mean a lot, but money. Nah, I think it went. Principles don't pay my rent, man. They do not. No. They do not. All right. You can't pay it with hugs and kisses. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Trump 2020. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm down right. to call it and then do another oh. one. Yeah, that's. I, th good. I thought you were about to say I'm down to sell out, and I was like, Whoa, <laughs> Whoa Blake. <laughs> oh, I mean, maybe not from Halliburton, but if someone. <laughs> beyond, beyond me. If you, if you want to sponsor this, yes, let me know. I'm down. All right, so we'll see you again next week or whenever the next episode comes out with part two of episode five, Alternative Energy. Mm -hmm. Until then, I don't know. Goodbye. Farewell greeting. Yeah. <laughs> Fair way to say bye.